Hey, it's good, to, it's good to see you guys. My name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here in Carmel, and we're glad to have you with us. If you're new or visiting, thanks for joining us today. Um, my family actually missed being here last weekend. We traveled two hours south to my hometown, the metropolis of Floyd's Knobs, Indiana. We went down for a wedding. It's a beautiful place. You laugh, but if you go, you'll never want to leave. I promise you. But this was a really special wedding for us. And I don't know how your family does weddings, but our family does weddings big. We love to party and have fun. And this particular wedding was special. It was my, my cousin Hannah who was getting married. And she's from that same beautiful metropolis of Floyd's Knobs, Indiana. But here's what's really cool. Hannah's lived up in Fishers for the last few years. And so when we moved up here, we reconnected with her and she she met this young stud named Nino, who's from the Indianapolis area, and we've got to know him. They are part of our Thursday night connection group that meets in our home, and so we've enjoyed getting to know them. And so obviously, we were excited to travel home to celebrate their wedding. In fact, here is a picture of us at the wedding. You can see Hannah and Nino there in the middle, the happy couple. And I've got my wife, my four kids, and this is my dad, Jerry, on this end. So all of us are family, but you might be thinking, well, who are all the other people? Who are the other seven people in that photo. Well, as it turns out, those other seven people are really important people. They are also in our Thursday night connection group. But here's what's really, really cool to me about this picture. One year ago, one year ago, all of us knew each other very little. We were just getting to know each other. We had launched this group in our home and people were coming together. And you know how new groups start. It's kind of awkward, right? But over the last year, we have enjoyed getting to know them. You probably recognize some of them that play on the worship team. We've enjoyed getting to know them, and we're friends. We hang out together on a regular basis, and it feels a little more like family than friends. And so the other seven people in this photograph said, you know what? We're willing to come travel two hours to this beautiful metropolis of Floyd Snobs, Indiana, to celebrate your wedding, and they rented an Airbnb together and hung out. It was so much fun. We had so much fun that weekend. And, and now you're thinking, well, that's really cool. I wish I was part of a family like that, or I had friends like that. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't get it. What's that have to do with anything that we're talking about today? But here's the thing. That has everything to do with what we're going to be talking about today. Last weekend, we kicked off a brand new series called The Pathway. And just in case you missed it, I want to encourage you to go check out the podcast. Steve kicked this off week one talking about God's rescue mission for all humanity. And just a quick overview of that rescue mission. It's real simple. We have all sinned and damaged our relationship with God. And so he sent his son Jesus to this earth as a man to die in our place, to die for our sins. And anyone that would put their trust and faith in Jesus is forgiven and restored in their relationship back to God. But here's what's really cool. That is not where the rescue mission ends. In fact, that's just the beginning because he invites us to be on mission with him to leverage our lives to invest in people around us to continue that cycle of people coming to know Jesus. And around here at Genesis, we call that disciple making. We didn't come up with the word, but that's what we call it. That's what you hear us talk about it a lot. And it's just the process of people getting to know Jesus, growing in their relationship with Jesus, and then being trained and equipped and going back into their everyday lives and replicating that cycle. And here's a phrase that you're going to hear us say a lot in this series. It might sound really bold, but we believe it's true. We believe that making disciples is God's mission for your life, for my life, and for us as a church family. We, we believe that this is that important. So over the next four weeks, we're going to walk you through a pathway that we see revealed in Jesus's life, st different steps that we can all take to get on this path and to, to grow down this path. And 
the first, the first step on this pathway is really simple. It's just connecting in community, getting connected into a community. We want to see everyone everywhere get connected into a community like this where they can make relationships with one another and grow in their relationship with Jesus. And we believe that happens in the context of community. And then the second step on this pathway is to encounter Jesus. We want to see everyone everywhere encounter the living Jesus for who he is, the Savior and the Messiah of the world, and to express their decision to follow Jesus by being baptized into him. But here's the thing, that's not where the path ends. The next step on the pathway is to learn how to follow Jesus. We want to see everyone everywhere become a believer of Jesus that commits to following him and living like Jesus, living out this pattern in their everyday life, having a close personal relationship with him, and then to go to the, this bottom quadrant of multiplying our lives into the people that we know, investing into a few specific strategic people that the Lord puts in our path. And you'll notice it's a cycle. We help them get on the path and we grow along the way together. And here's what's really cool about this. We did not develop this. I wish we were this good. We're not. We see this uh, on display in the Gospels. As you study the life and ministry of Jesus, you see that he developed this. This is how he intends for us to live. So if you missed last week, we were giving away these pathway brochures. These are available at the Info Hub. It's going to go into a little greater detail on some of those steps. I want to encourage you to pick one of those up after service. But when it comes to this pathway, here's what I want you to hear me say. Every one of us is on this pathway somewhere. The question is where? And what is your next step? What's the next step that you need to take, that I need to take as we grow down this pathway together, as we join Jesus on this journey? And as we study, as we continue to study Jesus's life together, what we see not just is a pathway, but patterns that develop. Ways that Jesus did what he did that we can do and apply into our everyday lives. And so today we're going to be studying in the Gospels to see a, an early pattern that develops in the life and ministry of Jesus. And it centers all around getting connected in community. So if you want to follow along today, I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 1 on your phone or in your Bible. In the Bibles around the room, that's on page 739. And, and I just want to give you a warning. We're going to do a quick flyover of the first three chapters of the Gospel of John. So I just want to invite you to buckle up, strap in. It's going to be fun, but follow along with me, okay? Now, if you've never studied through the Bible before, here's what I want you to know. There's two, the Bible's broken into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is everything that happened before Jesus came to the earth as a man. And the New Testament is everything that happened after Jesus came to the earth. And the first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're like biographies of Jesus's life. They tell us where he went and what he did and what he said and how he interacted and engaged with people. But three of them are really similar. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are incredibly similar. And they're like, I'm going to make this percentage up. They're 83% the same. Okay, I'm, I totally made that up, but you double check me on that. 83% of the stories are the same. They tell you the same story, maybe from a little bit of a different angle, but the gospel of John is totally different. John wrote his gospel after the other three. And he fills in gaps that the other guys don't fill in. And so I want you to think of it like this. If you went to watch the news, if you plopped down on the couch or maybe on your phone and you brought up different local news apps, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are like watching the local and national news on network television. 
They're going to give you most of the same stories. The reporter's going to be a little different. The, the details of the story might be a little different, but mostly the same. But John's gospel is like the BBC World News, right? The person talking has an accent. You're trying to keep up, and they're showing you all the places in the world that you didn't even know existed and all these stories that no one else is talking about. That's John's, that's John's gospel. And so when John begins his gospel in chapter one, he doesn't talk about the birth or the baptism of Jesus. He picks up right after Jesus's baptism and he introduces us to another guy whose name is John. His name is John the Baptist. And his name is John the Baptist, not because he doesn't like the Catholics or the Methodists, that's not it. He's John the Baptist because he was baptizing people, saying God's kingdom is coming, the Messiah will be here soon. Now, he, was, he, he got a large following of people, and people came to him and said, hey, wink, wink, are you the Messiah? You're probably the Messiah, aren't you? And he's like, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm telling you, he's coming here soon. In fact, look at what John says in John chapter 1, verse 35 through 37. This is 40 days after Jesus' baptism, okay? It says this, the next day, John the Baptist, he was there again where he had been baptizing with two of his disciples, two of John's disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. In other words, it is, that's the guy that everybody thinks it's me. He's the Messiah. You should get to know that guy right there. And two of John's disciples that were standing there, well, look at what it says. When the two disciples heard him say this, they began following Jesus. Now, guys, I'm talking to the men in the room. We have a way of making things awkward, don't we? Right? These two guys had an opportunity. They were meeting Jesus for the first time. And if you, what would make sense is to walk up and say, hey, we're followers of John the Baptist. He's kind of a big deal. Um, my name's Jerry. It's so nice to meet you. I hear that you're the Messiah. Is that true? I mean, that might be a good way to start the conversation, right? Look at what they say. When these two disciples heard that they followed Jesus, verse 38, turning around, Jesus said, what do you want? They just start following Jesus. They stalk him, right? What is it? Guys, is there a problem? Do I need to call the cops? Is there an issue here? Now, the next thing that these guys say is really important. Why are you stalking them? What are you doing? This would be a good time to introduce yourself. And look at what they ask. This is what you want every stalker to ask. Uh, where, where are you staying? Where are you going, right? It's so awkward. And I love it because Jesus, he doesn't freak out. He says, verse 39, oh, come, come and you'll see. And so they went and saw where he was staying. They spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, here's what's really cool. If you keep reading, we learn that one of those guys, his name was Andrew. And after spending the day with Jesus, he was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And he went and found his brother, Simon Peter. And he says, dude, you got to check it out. We met the Messiah. So he brings his brother to meet Jesus. So two becomes three. But then if you keep reading, Jesus goes and finds this guy named Philip and says, hey, I'm getting ready to go out of town. Do you want to come? And Philip says, sure, I'll go out of town. Hold on a second. And he goes and gets his friend Nathaniel. And he brings Nathaniel to come and meet Jesus. So now there's not three, there's four, and four invites five. And in a span of like two days, Jesus launches a men's small group. And none of them really know each other as far as we know. I mean, they might know each other just a little bit. And he said, hey, I'm going out of town. Who wants to join me? Look at, look at John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. On the third day, shortly thereafter, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So they're traveling out of town to a wedding, traveling there on foot. And you can already start to see this pattern begin to develop. They're getting to know one another. They're hanging out together. They go to this wedding. They walk and they talk. Maybe they rented an Airbnb together. I don't know. They're hanging out. They're sharing life together. 
And then if you jump down to verse 12, after the wedding, look at what we learn. After this, he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Now, we don't know a lot of the details of what happened in Capernaum. But according to John, they just continued to spend time together. They barely knew each other, but they're hanging out all the time. In other words, Jesus was using this time strategically to build a sense of community among these men. Now, you understand, you know why this is important, right? How many of you ever had a team-building day at work or at school, right? And I, I just, I literally just saw somebody roll their eyes. When you hear that there's going to be a team-building day, you're like, oh, great, a day of awkwardness. This will be fun. Let's go do that. Or maybe you've gone on a retreat or you've gone on a mission trip out of the country with a whole group of strangers, and you're not looking forward to it at all. But what happens when you ha start having shared experiences? All of a sudden, you start to have a whole new group of friends, and some of them might be friends for life. And it starts off awkward, but you get to know each other really quick. And that's what we see happening here with Jesus and his disciples. Now, if you go to John chapter 3, we learn that John, Jesus travels to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, a huge Jewish celebration. This would have required like a 100-mile trek on foot. Have you ever walked anywhere for 100 miles? That, 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 that's what these guys do. They walked and they talked, and they ate, and they slept, and they woke up, and they did it all again the next day. I don't know how long it takes to walk 100 miles. They walk 100 miles, and they go to, this, to the city of Jerusalem for Passover. They continue to hang out. And then look at what we find in John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. They went camping, where they spent some time, where he spent some time with them. You can see the pattern developing. They were spending lots of time together. Now that phrase, spent some time with, comes from a Greek word that, it, that mean, it's pronounced diatribo, and it means to rub off on, to get under the skin of, to get through to. Another way to think about this is they were just having a lot of bro time together. They were continually getting to know. I have to imagine these guys were pranking one another. They were teasing one another. They probably didn't always get along, but they were hanging out together. And they were connecting with one another. They were bonding as friends. And so as we do this quick flyover of John 1 through 3, you see this pattern develop. Jesus is building his ministry by strategically spending a lot of time, quality and quantity time, with these men. And he hung out with a lot of different people, but those guys were always with him wherever they went. And eventually these are the guys that would be known as his disciples. And so here's the bottom line. When we study Jesus' life, in the, in the Gospels, you'll discover this pattern emerge, but we also learn that Jesus himself needed to have a close group of friends. Even Jesus needed a group of friends that he could hang out with, a close, meaningful relationships. They shared the adventure of discovering who God is together. And he imparted this priority to them, this importance of connecting in community, because we find it repeated in the book of Acts after Jesus leads them. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it's the fifth book in the New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the biographies. Acts is a history book of the early church, and it tells us how the early church was formed, how it functioned, and how it grew. And right away in the first chapter of the book of Acts, we find Jesus giving his disciples a farewell speech 
saying the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You guys are going to have all kind of power. If you compare that with what you find at the end of the other Gospels, this is where Jesus gives us the command to go and make disciples. He's like, I'm giving you the most important mission of your whole life. I've trained you to do this for the rest of forever. And then he pieces out. He floats away into heaven. Now, I want you to imagine you're one of those men or ladies. You've spent three and a half years with this guy. You've seen him do amazing things, perform miracles, and he's taught you how to do everything he knows how to do. And he's like, I'm going to give you this most important mission. Are you ready? I think so. And then he flies away. What are you going to do? What do you do next? I, I really, I don't, I don't know what I would do. I would, I would freak out for sure. But look at what they did in verse 14. Acts 1.14 tells us, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They didn't bail on one another. They continued to meet together. So it seems like this pattern that Jesus had revealed to them, it worked. They were devoted to one another. And then 10 days goes by uh, for the Feast of uh, Pentecost. It's a huge Jewish celebration in the city of Jerusalem. And look at what we find happen at, on the day of Pentecost in, in the, the city of Jerusalem. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They hadn't given up on this idea of staying together. None of them went back to their everyday life now that Jesus was gone. They might have been afraid, but they were committed to staying together. They were committed to living out this mission with Jesus. And if you keep reading in Acts chapter 2, something amazing happens. Just like Jesus promised, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it creates such a commotion Thousands of people flock to the house where the disciples were staying, wondering what the heck is going on. So there's this crowd of thousands of people, and Peter stands up to preach. Now, if you know anything about Peter, all the other guys are thinking, oh, I hope he doesn't say anything. He never says the right thing. And he preaches the first gospel sermon, and his message, it was really inviting. He said this, you've all sinned against God. Your sin led Jesus to the cross. He died for you. That's not a very exciting thing to hear, right? And then he says, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit just like we have. Now that shouldn't work. But what happens next is amazing. Look at Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to, his number, to, the, to the numbers that day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing 3,000 people in one day give their life to Jesus, to be baptized? Like, what would that even be like? Now, here's my question. Do you think those guys had a plan? Do you think the 12 of them had a really good plan for what to do with 3,000 people? I don't. I don't think they had a plan at all, but you know what they did have? They had a pattern that Jesus had laid down for them to follow. Look at what they do in Acts chapter 2, 42. They... They meaning the disciples. They meaning the 3,000 that were now part of this church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, into fellowship, to the breaking of bread into prayer. Now, the word here for fellowship means to be devoted or pledged to a specific community. One commentator describes this community having an intimate bond that was centered around the person and the mission of Jesus. And listen to the result of this community, this amazing community in verse 43. Everyone, all of them, all 3,000 of them, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, isn't it interesting that the writer of Acts uses the word together multiple times? What do you think, what point is he trying to drive home to those of us that would read this thousands of years later? They were together. They were devoted the same sense of community that Jesus had built with those 12 spilled over into this brand new thing that was going to be called the church. In the same way that Jesus's ministry was based on community, the church would be founded on community too. And look at what happens. Here's the best part of the whole story. The end of Acts chapter 247. And the Lord Jesus added to their number on occasion. Whenever he felt like it. On Sundays at nine in the morning. That's not what it says. He added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a part of a community like that? Where day after day after day, people were coming to know Jesus. Day after day after day, people were being baptized into Jesus. That was the, that's what that early community got to experience. And here's what's really cool. People were coming to know Jesus because of the way that the community was living for Jesus. The way they did community with one another was so attractive. People couldn't stay away. And this this kind of community that launched the early church, they were laser focused on who Jesus was and why he came. They were fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit and they were fiercely devoted to one another. And it was different than anyone had anything, anything anyone had ever seen anywhere before. And time and time again, the writers of the New Testament, they refer to this special community in the early church using some very specific language. Listen to what the the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4. He refers to this early church as the body of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he refers to believers as God's family. In 1 Peter 2 and in Galatians 6, uh, he refers to it as the family of believers. And the writer of Hebrews says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Now here's why this is so important. We can't miss this. If you were to ask the early church people, hey, what is your church like? They're not thinking, oh, that's a time and a place on a Sunday morning where we all just come together and meet for a few minutes. They saw each other as, as a family of believers. They were united in Jesus. They were on this mission together. And they loved being part of that family. Now, if you're like me, I have a really good concept of family. I have a wonderful family. I love family. I love being with my family. So I'm like, bring it on. But that's not everybody, is it? Anybody want to raise their hand if if family is more like the F word for you? You're like, don't say that word. It makes me nervous. I don't even like the family I have. Don't talk about them. Like that's, they ruin Thanksgiving and Christmas for me every year for the whole, my whole life. I don't want to talk about family. Well, I want you to understand something. The concept that Jesus has for the family is different than anything you and I have ever experienced. Even the best version that you and I have ever experienced. Jesus's version of family begins by us being adopted into God's family. Think about that. When you put your trust into Jesus, you're adopted. Your sins are forgiven, and God says, you are my child. That's where it all begins. And you know what's really cool about that? There's not an older or a younger. We're all even. 
We're all equally important. The writers of the New Testament, uh, they say when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we leave our old lives behind. And, he, and God welcomes us into his family. That's the first thing. Secondly, Jesus' version of family is focused on caring for and building one another up in a way that's completely different than the world does it. And this is a consistent message and pattern that's found throughout the Apostle Paul's writings all throughout the New Testament. In fact, over 40 different times, Paul and other writers use this phrase, one another. We've got some of these one another's on the bottom of your notes if you want to go home and study them this week. But listen to some of these one another passages that we are supposed to practice as the church. We are to serve one another. We're to accept one another. We're to strengthen one another. We're to help one another. We're to encourage one another to submit to one another. Oh, that's gross, right? Submitting to one another. Confess to one another. Say when you're sorry. Don't slander one another. Don't anger one another. Be compassionate towards one another. Live at peace with one another. You get, you get the gist, right? And just for fun, in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says this, and greet one another with a holy kiss. Why not? We haven't practiced that here at Genesis for a while. So right after service, we're just going to go out and everybody's going to kiss everybody. Does that sound good? Who's in? <laughs> now I'm going to admit, as one of the pastors here at Genesis, we don't always get this right. Okay, we don't always get these one another's right. But we are fiercely devoted to living them out and having us live them out together. Now one of the reasons that our family was so excited to travel two hours home Last week, the six of us, my wife and our four kids, is we love reconnecting with our larger family. My dad, my siblings, their spouses, and their kids. There's 24 of us total. So our, we love when our little family gets together with our kind of big family. That was on Friday, but then our, little, our family of 24 was really excited for Saturday night to go and party with the rest of our family of 100 people or, or hundreds of people on Saturday night at this, at this wedding. We couldn't wait, but here's, here's something I, I just want to point out. So throw up that picture again of, of us at the wedding, right? We took this picture. We were all happy, and then somebody said something. One of the girls in our group said something right after this picture was taken, and it just it, it made my night. She said, hey, you guys, you're my family. And she's one of the seven. She's not actually part of our family, but she said, you guys, this is family. We're family. And she didn't realize it at the time, but she was reminding all of us, when we are united around Jesus, we are invited into a family. And it doesn't matter if you're red or yellow, black or white. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, married or single. It doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal. It doesn't matter if you're wildly extroverted or painfully introverted. It doesn't matter. When we're united around Jesus, we are part of God's family. We are adopted into his family. He makes us family. But there's one other thing about this, this family that I, that I want you to know. You might remember this. One year ago, this week, as a church family, we gathered together on a Sunday night to celebrate our 15-year celebration together as a church. We gathered at our Noblesville campus, and it was, we were just celebrating. We celebrated with worship and with baptisms. And one of the people that were baptized that night was my friend Nino. And here's what's really cool. Nino grew up in Albania, and he told me as a young kid, his dad took him to church on, a, on one occasion, but his dad got this sense that they needed to leave right away. And as, as they were leaving, they heard like gunshots or something going on in the building after they left. His dad just knew, we gotta get out of here. They didn't have the greatest expression of church that we could, like, like this. 
So when Nino steps into our Thursday night group, he doesn't know much about Jesus. He's really curious. But you know what was really cool? This group of people that didn't know one another very well, we tried really hard to model the one another's. And along the way, my friend Nino started to follow Jesus. And I'll, I'll never forget the night in my living room when he gave his life to Jesus. And it wasn't because of anything we did. It was because of what we did. We, we helped him understand what church is supposed to be and what Jesus is all about. And here's why I share his story with you. His story is your story and it's my story. It's God's rescue mission for our life. It's sharing our lives with one another and inviting people into this community that don't know Jesus or that have a skewed vision of who Jesus is so that we can get to know him together and we can take care of one another. Jesus modeled strong community for his disciples. The disciples modeled strong community for the church and it's worked because 2,000 years later, here we are, but Genesis Church, you gotta hear me say this. It is our time. It is our time to step into this. We cannot just treat church as something that we do on Sunday. We get to live this out all the time by inviting people in, not just inviting them to church, but inviting them to know Jesus by the way that we share their lives with them so that they can come to know him, they can surrender to him, they can be baptized into him and then that process can continue. And so here's my question as we wrap up today. Who's your church family? Now, when I ask that question, you might be thinking, duh, Jerry, it's Genesis. I'm here with you this morning, right? Yeah, this is church family, but who's your smaller family? Who are you confessing to? Who are you taking care of? Who's taking care of you? If your life blows up, who are you gonna call? Do you have that family? And who are you inviting into that community to join you on mission? Last week here at the Carmel campus, with God's help, we launched six new connection groups, six. For a church our size, that's pretty huge. Now, that's where it's worth celebrating, but here's what's really cool. There's more than six of them. There's probably like 20 of them, just in Carmel. But we launched six new groups, new people coming into new environments to get to meet new people. And they're gonna form friendships, Lord willing. And they're gonna get to know one another and they're gonna take care of one another. And if you're not connected with one of those groups, I'm just gonna flat out tell you, you are missing out. If this is all you know of Genesis Church, like you might love it, but you are missing out on so much more. And so I wanna invite you to take a step and get connected into community. Maybe it's serving with a group of people. Maybe it's meeting in a home with a group of people, but you're gonna have to share your life and it's gonna feel awkward at times, but I promise you it'll pay dividends. You will not regret that decision. These groups are the lifeblood of our, church, uh, of our church. And as these groups grow, guess what's gonna happen with our church family? We're gonna grow, but not even numerically, as much as an influence in our community because people are gonna have a place to come and get to know Jesus before they ever come to a Sunday service like this. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want us to end by praying for a few things together. In fact, I just wanna invite you right now to close your eyes for a moment, to clear your mind of all the things that are coming up later today. And I want you to, I want you to take a moment and I wanna invite you to thank God for this church community, this family of believers. Thank God for the new groups that launched this week. Thank God for the people that are leading them. Thank God for the existing groups that we have, but thank God for this community of believers. 
Now I want you to pray for people here at Genesis that are lonely, that are disconnected, that feel like misfits, that feel like they don't fit in. And maybe you're thinking, he just described me to a T. It's okay. You can pray for you. We'll pray for you. But pray for people that feel far from God, that feel disconnected. Pray for them. Pray that they would be courageous in connecting community somewhere. you to pray for people by name that you know that aren't connected to a community like this. They're not connected to a group like you have. Who are they? What are their names? Pray for them and pray that the Holy Spirit would move in their life. They would, he would make you bold enough to invite them to join your small group. Or he would, he would make you bold enough to invite them to join you on a Sunday morning. Pray for them by name. have an honest conversation with Jesus about where you are on this pathway and what your next step's going to be. We all have a next step to take. Ask him and listen and be ready to obey. Father in heaven, I thank you Genesis Church I thank you that we can come together and we can worship you we can sing to you we can pray to you we don't do that alone thankful that we have a community of believers I am thankful for the community of believers that we have that serve faithfully I'm thankful for the community of people that we have that meet together in homes and on campus throughout the week Would you strengthen these communities? I'm so thankful for the people that have stepped up to lead these new groups. I'm so thankful for the conversations I've had with new group leaders this week that are excited and scared all at the same time about what you're gonna do in their new group. Would you build a strong sense of community in us that is based on Jesus and committed to one another? Father, I pray for anyone here that feels lonely or disconnected. Would you help them to be brave enough to say, I need to get connected. Would you help them to walk to the tent after service and say, hey, I need a group and that we would help them find a group that's right for them or maybe they find a place to serve on Sunday morning. But help them not to feel lonely anymore. Help them to find some friends that can walk with them through the loneliness and struggle of life. I pray for the people that we know in our families and in our neighborhoods and at work that we will rub up against every day that don't know you. Would you help us to be the first Lincoln community for them? Would you help them to find a, a, a community like Genesis where they can get to know you, Jesus? Maybe that means we're gonna start some groups at work where people can study the word and get to know you. I don't know what, just do more than we could ask or imagine, please. And would you help every one of us to identify a step that we need to take to grow on this disciple-making pathway so that we would be found faithful and committed to this mission. We would not do it on our own. We would do it by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of your name, Jesus. And I am thankful that Genesis Church isn't the only church in this world. There's your global church we are a part of. 
Would you remind us that we're part of a bigger mission? Would you help us to be faithful and to serve you in all we do, Jesus? We love you. It is in your name that we pray.